Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 149, Booty Trap. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 149, Initiating. Computer, do you have a personality profile on Ken Ray? I do, but you said you did not like it. I know, but... You said he was an ugly bag of mostly mixed metaphor and song references. Right, but I was thinking that... You said he always interrupted you. He's not the only one who does that. Computer, go ahead and reinstate Ken Ray personality program. Initiating. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we take apart an episode of Star Trek for messages, morals, and meanings, trying to figure out whether the whole thing stands the test of time. And um, in the tradition set out by this week's episode, let me say that this week's episode is called Booby Trap. And I will remind you that this week's episode is called Booby Trap. And uh, it's also called Booby Trap. And uh, I want to say they say it one more time. Uh, Booby Trap. Ken, I'm glad to have you back. It, it sounds like you're to within about 9.37% of your regular personality. Back? <laughs> oh, uh... Yeah, no, no, never mind. You, you. I mean, I'm back again this week. You know, I mean, yeah, we're, we're yeah. doing what we do. I don't know what you're. Uh, yeah. Well, you got that thing you got to do in a minute. John Champions Trivia, uh, sponsored by John Champions Trivia, is coming up in just a moment. Uh, first, let me do one of the things that I've uh, sort of started doing every week now, letting people know how they can get in touch with us. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. That handle again, Mission Log Pod. You can call us, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. And if you don't know how to call us, um, that thing that you play games on and that you Snapchat with and that you, you know, sometimes you kick, sometimes you get kicked, apparently. Um, yeah, you can call us on that thing, believe it or not. Our email address, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including Discover Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may... Use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And now, as had been previously stated, John Champions Trivia brought to you by John Champions Trivia. Oh, and Ken, just to remind you, uh, yeah. this is trivia for the episode Booby Trap. Oh, is that is that yeah. what this episode's called? Mm-hmm. I it's didn't know. Because yep. they don't... <sighs> yeah. All right. Today's episode is directed by Gabriel Beaumont. And uh, this is the first Star Trek episode directed by a woman. It is her first episode of Star Trek in a career that really runs the gamut. Uh, MASH, After MASH, Heart to Heart, Vegas, Remington Steel, Hill Street Blues, Miami Vice, Seventh Heaven, and on and on and on. She was born in London, and uh, cult TV fans will want to know that she directed a couple of episodes of The Tomorrow People in the 70s before moving to the U.S. She wrote, directed, and produced the TV tribute Diana a People's Tribute after the death of the Princess of Wales. Ken, I also wanted to mention here that, um, you know, it's kind of an important moment that uh, Gabrielle Beaumont, like I said, is the first Star Trek episode directed by a woman. Um, Not for uh, not trying, though. Um, Susan Oliver, who appeared as Vina in The Cage, Hmm. later turned her career into directing. She actually directed MASH, so interesting uh, parallel there. And she had been in contact with the production offices at uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, asking to please be able to direct an episode of Star Trek. And uh, sadly, that moment never came, and she died too young in 1990. Uh, 
Can we can I back up for a second really quickly? Of course. This yeah. is the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation directed by a woman or the first episode of Star Trek ever directed by a woman? First episode of Star Trek ever. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. good for them for getting to it. So, yeah. 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 And we will have more of uh, Gabrielle Beaumont to come. Um, now, the story this week is by Michael Wagner, who we've mentioned before, and Ron Roman. The teleplay by Ron Roman, Michael Piller, and Richard Danis. Uh, so a lot of hands in this one. Piller, in particular, wanted to edit some of the content from the original draft, namely that Picard was going to be the one who fell for a holodeck creation. Now, the violinist in the opening holodeck scene is playing a piece by Brahms, not Dr. Brahms, but Johannes Brahms, the other Brahms. Models of uh, older enterprises can be seen in the drafting room at uh, Utopia Planitia. And there's a, a nice little reuse of the bosun whistle from Star Trek II. Bosun's call is used to communicate or, or assemble the crew when verbal orders may not be heard. Now, there's a, a shout-out here to the Daystrom Institute. Dr. Daystrom was last seen in the ultimate computer. The ultimate and, computer! <laughs> and he was institutionalized. Um, but, <laughs> now, the original female character in Booby Trap Booby was Trap. to have been his granddaughter, uh, but Susan Gibney had already been cast, and uh, whoever was doing the casting didn't realize that Dr. Daystrom was African-American. Now, about Susan Gibney, who plays Dr. Leah Brahms, uh, she has worked consistently in television for most of her career, shows like Lost, The Mentalist, and her, a regular role on Crossing Jordan, uh, though she has also done a lot of theater work in New York. Remember her, she might show up again, and you'll also be interested down the road to know some other prominent Star Trek roles that she auditioned for. Now, Albert Hall played Galak Dur, the commander of the ancient doomed ship in this episode. He's an Alabama native, also with a long list of TV credits to his name. Uh, men of a certain age, 24, Matlock, regular gig on Ally McBeal. And he was featured in Apocalypse Now as Chief Phillips. Jordy's first crush in this episode is Christy Henshaw, played by Julie Warner, her first gig was on The Guiding Light, and she made numerous TV appearances after that, including Party of Five and Nip Tuck, and we may very well see her come back to Next Gen. Captain Picard is going on a field trip. Relax. He's the captain. What could possibly go wrong? Prologue. We open on the beach. Well, a holodeck beach, but it's completely convincing and probably gets sand in painful places. Jordy LaForge is on a date with Christy Henshaw and has cooked up the perfect romantic recipe. Moonlight, music, and a drink with a bamboo umbrella and everything, just like the one he saw in the magazine. She's just not into him. Not like that, anyway. In 10 forward, Wesley is playing 3D chess. Look, everybody, 3D chess with Data and takes his mind off how badly he's getting destroyed by the android by noticing that they are in a large asteroid field where a final, devastating battle was waged. Speaking of defeated, in walks Geordi, and everybody knows that his date did not go well. Duty calls, though, and Data goes up to the bridge where an ancient distress call has been picked up. The source of the call? A derelict Promelian battleship at least a thousand years old. Act 1. 
Welcome to the Aurelia system, where the Promelians and the Menthars threw down so hard that they wiped each other out of existence. There is one remnant, though, this Promelian ship sitting among the asteroids, hardly touched. Picard is about as excited as Picard ever gets. He's going to beam over and check out this piece of history in person. A captain arrives with Data and Worf, but as they beam away, there is a slight energy drain in the Enterprise. Eh, probably not a big deal. Picard is really getting his history geek on. He finds the dead Promelian captain sitting in his command chair for centuries. His last log entry is found. Not much detail in it, but it is revealed that the noble captain took full responsibility for the doom that befell his crew. Back on the Enterprise, Geordi is trying to figure out what went wrong on his date with Christie and, well, apparently all other dates. He confides in Guinan that he doesn't know how to act on dates, and she confides in him that she likes bald men. Wow, really? Yeah, still not ringing a bell with Jordy. On the bridge, weird fluctuations are fluctuating. Wesley will keep an eye on it. With Picard and the away team back, he's ready to get out of there after regaling the others with how cool it was to be on that ghost ship. Deanna is especially pleased that he's not acting like the humorless, authoritarian stick-in-the-mud he normally is. Oh, well. When the order is given, nothing happens. Energy keeps draining from the ship every time someone puts their foot on the gas. They're getting nowhere fast. It's very likely the Enterprise is caught in whatever stalled that old ship, which prompts Picard to remind everyone the name of the episode. Act 2. The situation is grim. Energy is quickly being depleted from the Enterprise. Reserves will go, and they'll have nothing for shields. Geordi is working on a solution in engineering, the problem being that they can't form a subspace field for the warp drive. Lacking a haze manual, Geordi looks to the computer for more help. Who could possibly know more about the Enterprise engines than he? The answer is Dr. Leah Brahms, the woman who built the thing. Looking through data files is one thing, but Jordy has a better idea. He plays back a voice log of Dr. Brahms based on her papers about propulsion. On the bridge, Dr. Crusher is working out a survival plan. They'll only have about half an hour to live once the shields fall due to radiation exposure. Around that time, Riker and Data call back from the Promelian ship with some good news. They found more ship's logs they'll bring back to the Enterprise. Jordy uses a scientific modeling approach to solve his problem. He has the computer recreate on the holodeck the drafting room at Utopia Planitia near Mars, where the Enterprise was built. Pretty clever. Now he'll be able to model various outcomes based on information about their current problem. Once he's there, a physical representation of Dr. Brahms is created by the computer, and she's a little stiff, but seemingly Geordi's type. Act 3. Right away, Geordi and the holographic Dr. Brahms have a bit of a breakthrough. With the engines, I mean... At least they can hold on a little longer. This should be a moment for celebration, but the holographic Dr. Brahms is still unmoved. Jordy asks for a little personality. At least it'll make her not so creepy to work with. Then poof, Dr. Brahms, we'll call her Leah now, is all personality and cheerful intellect. On the bridge, Data is playing back the logs of the Promelian captain, and what he finds is somewhat useful. It is determined that the Menthars litter the area with a unique kind of booby trap, one that absorbs the energy around it and spits it back out as dangerous radiation. The more energy is used against it, the stronger it becomes. Speaking of using energy, in the holodeck, Jordi and Leah are in a very heated discussion. It sounds something like, I think we should tech the tech this way, but you're wrong. You can't tech the tech that way. We'll have to tech the tech or the tech will kill us or something like that. 
They work it out. They can work together. But before it gets too sentimental, Riker calls Geordi to the bridge. Riker's idea is to fire phasers at a few of the radiation assimilators, the booby traps, to knock them out. Data presents the, are you sure we should do that argument? But Geordi thinks he can keep things going well enough for them to do it. Now, remember that moment not five minutes ago when it was revealed how the booby traps work by absorbing energy and then spitting it right back out as radiation? Yeah, that part has not changed since then. The Enterprise fires, radiation is released, and the energy reserves on the Enterprise are lowering again. Time for another consultation with fake Leah Brahms. Too bad, though. Since energy reserves are dropping, the holodeck is one of the first things to go. She goes into the ether. Act 4. Systems all over the ship are cut. Maybe the shields will hold for a couple of hours. Even then, the radiation field is bigger, meaning exposure will start killing people 26 minutes after that. Riker sums it up. If they do nothing, they die. If they do anything, they die. The holodeck thing is pretty important, so Picard turns it back on for Geordi. Leah is back. This time, she and Geordi have another breakthrough in realizing that they could possibly navigate their way out by allowing the ship's computer to do the flying, making a counter-adjustment for every negative impact the booby traps provide. Sounds promising. But will the captain buy it? Well, no need to wait for an answer. In walks Picard, and no, Geordi was not just getting a shoulder rub from Dr. Brahms. Picard is a little uneasy with the idea of letting the computer do all the hard work. Riker shares Picard's sentiment, and that's the perfect lead-in for him to be bored by more romanticizing about model ships from his captain. The longer Geordi and Leah work on the problem, running failed simulation after failed simulation, the shields collapse. The deadly radiation is now 26 minutes away from killing the crew. Act 5. Again, remember that part about the more energy expended, the more powerful those radiation-spewing traps become? Okay, good. The rest of them figured that out, too. Now Geordi suggests cutting all power possible after a quick burst of energy. He lays it out to Picard, saying that they should forget the numbers, give it a split second, and just go. Life support will be on, of course. Picard himself takes the helm. The lighting is low. The mood is tense. Picard steers while Data provides the color commentary. At one moment, it looks like they're overtaken by the loss of energy and the Enterprise is pulled toward an asteroid by gravity. Seeing an opportunity, Picard fires the aft starboard thruster to slingshot the Enterprise out of there, much to the relief of everyone else on the bridge. Systems go back online and Worf blasts a good number of photon torpedoes to wipe out the Promelian ship and a few of those energy-sucking traps. Geordi is back in the holodeck with Minuet, I mean, Leah. He says they made a good team, but they needed a little good old human intuition to save the day. She gets it, and she reminds Geordi that she's always with him. Leah's work is all around him in engineering, after all. To say goodbye, she plants a big holographic kiss right on the chief engineer, and Geordi solemnly ends the holodeck simulation. The end. Well done, sir. Thank you. Yes, Thank no, you. no, no problem at all. Well done. Um, I, I, I kind of feel like uh, when I said um, you said uh, in in trivia, you said booby trap, and I said booby trap. Here, here's why I did that. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking that yeah. we should like play a bell or something. <laughs> yeah, I kept wanting it to happen yeah. on the show as well. Every time somebody said booby trap, I wanted just, like a little counter to come up to like show us that we did mm-hmm. that. So if it sounded weird and non sequitur that I went booby trap, you. <laughs> When you said it that time, because in my head I was like, oh, we should play a thing, like a buzzer or a bell or something like that. 
so you it's know, the phrase that pays. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. You know how you get like a weird attachment to to props. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. it's a ship, sometimes it's a panel. Like maybe it's that that thing with all the all the like sort of neon lights that was in Star Trek Two, that was also in Airplane Two. Oh, I love and, that yeah, thing. Yeah, that thing's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I love the flashlights on on uh, on the Enterprise D. Yeah, yeah, I always have. And here's the thing: I look at them, and I know the only reason they look so cool is because of the way they're holding them, and because of the mm-hmm. fact that it's dark. Because I'm pretty yeah. sure it's just a flashlight. But anytime you see those flashlights, I get almost like a Mulder and Scully vibe off them. You know, oh, there's yeah. like there's something yeah, very yeah. like cool and investigative, and and yet accessible at the same time. It looks sort of futuristic. Probably just because it's being held by a spaceman, not because there's anything actually <laughs> right, futuristic right. about it. But it's right. it's so weird. Like the um the the phaser and the cage, mm-hmm. and and these flashlights are like two of my favorite hand props that we wow. get in in uh, in Star Trek. At least at least what we've watched so far. I I know what to get you for Christmas: two mini mag lights, but, take them together and put them in a box. <laughs> get me a flashlight. <laughs> I'll just play with the box, dude. Really, don't yeah, get me anything for Christmas because you know that that's who right. I am. Yeah, <laughs> I thought this whole thing harkened back to Data figuring out the Chinese finger trap. Yeah. And, and, I, and I wonder if he thought about bringing that up again. Like, hey, uh, remember that time that I had my fingers caught and I kept pulling them and that didn't nap? You don't? Never mind. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I couldn't remember what episode that was. But I, I like as we're talking about this thing, so like we expend energy and it sucks energy and that traps us. I'm like, yeah, this sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. This sounds very familiar. I couldn't remember if it was original series or next gen. I got to say, though, um, yep. really idiotic. It's like, so those things eat energy. Yeah. Right. What if, well, what if we give it a lot? Yeah. It's not I like know. me. It's not like I'm going to get full and go, no, no, no. I couldn't have any more. Please. What I'm going to do is, yeah. go, ah, yes. <laughs> Let me trap you better. Thanks for that. It's like when and, Thor like shot lightning at Iron Man and suddenly he's up like 400%. Right. <laughs> yeah. Good thinking. Yeah. Good thinking. Well, and then they fired photon torpedoes, which sure, okay, maybe the photon torpedo will destroy the Promelian ship, but mm-hmm. then wouldn't all those booby traps nearby go like, oh, man, this is even better than the phaser. <laughs> We're going to make a huge radiation field. Oh, see, somebody, some scientist is going to write to us and talk about the difference between potential energy and kinetic energy or something along those lines, I would think. Yeah, I was actually just sort of surprised. So we can put cones around things that you know want to kill us, but we can't put cones around a trap? Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. Just right. you know, put police tape around it. So because I mean, here's the thing: there is still a 1,000 year old ship there that would be great to get out someday. Heck, yes. you could even bring like bring some other kind of ship that could find a way to destroy, like maybe with tiny little photon torpedoes to destroy the assimilators or whatever they're called. Yep. And leave the uh, and leave the ship because that's a thousand years of history that Picard was like, ah, it's really cool that I got to see that. <laughs> right. <laughs> now right. Blow, blow it up so nobody else does. Because here's the other thing. There's still an asteroid field with all of those things eating energy, right? So yeah. some ship yeah. may still end, <laughs> end up there. You know who's going to end up there? Uh, no. The pack leads. Oh, well, quite possibly. That's true. Uh-huh. Hey, good point that. Right. Yep. And they'll say, make us go. I'm like, yeah, you're on your own. Nope, that place will just be lousy with packlets. All the other packlets will keep coming like, hey, can you get us out of here? No. Can you get us out of here? No. And then just, I miss Jordy. <laughs> Jordy is super eager in this episode. We talked about that early on, even before Jordy had a romantic life. We talked about how he was just so eager, just so earnest. And, yeah. and he should know to tone it down by now. I, I kind of feel bad for him, but... But, you know, dude. Well, who, who didn't learn this in high school, though, even if we don't? I mean, it was always the most ironic thing, right? It's like, wow, I wasn't even trying, and, and, and now I like this girl, or that girl likes me. You know, mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. maybe in the 24th century, they don't have high school. 
<laughs> right. And maybe so maybe not. Jordy never had those problems. Maybe he was a whiz kid like Wes and, you know, skip, yeah. skipped the part where he hung out with big hairy monsters who pretended to be wonderful girls. Oh, that's too bad. Nice moment about Picard and Guinan. Um, and wow, was Jordy blind? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, figuratively. Yeah, figuratively. <laughs> you assume, that. though, that he's the only bald man. Yeah, well, he's, he's the most prominent one on the ship. <laughs> he is, that's uh, true. And yes, you, you would think it would yeah. be fairly obvious, although you and I are, of course, watching this with a bit of hindsight. Yes. We don't yeah, know true. for certain, you know, what you're yeah. saying. No, they, they just, uh, Picard seemed very happy to have Guinan on board. They seemed to, they seemed to have a rapport. Yes, uh, right. Up to this point, yeah. All right. Um, hey, all right. Am I, uh, I, I? I hate nitpicking. Sometimes it's not really what our show is about. But mm-hmm. am I being super pedantic? Yes. Uh, about the. <laughs> <laughs> about, I'm sorry. I'll let you finish. Go ahead. But the ship in the bottle metaphor, because I, I just kept wondering if they were using that metaphor right. Hmm. How because, so? Well, well, it seemed like they kept mixing it up. So Picard wants to climb inside the bottle but he, he talks about how he used to build model airships and i kept thinking were you building those inside bottles because you're you're very excited about excited about the idea of ships in bottles now now when i was a kid and and maybe sometimes as an adult um i have built models of things sometimes star trek models even mm-hmm. but but i'm not building them inside bottles when, it, when i see a bottle, and particularly when I was a kid with a ship in it, I'd be like, oh, wow, that, that's really cool. Somebody built that in there, and that's kind of the trick. It's sort of the puzzle of how did they do it. But it's not a toy that I want because ultimately it's a thing in a bottle that you can't play with. Right. Uh, so I never thought about ships in bottles as toys. thought about building models as a cool thing. But they, keep, they kept seeming to, to use this just interchangeably. Like, oh, ships and bottles. When I, when I was a kid, I, I would build models, but you were building them in bottles. Picard, you're a weird dude. You had a weird childhood. Well, no, but that is actually a thing, right? I mean, not as many people do it today as did back in the day, I suppose. But, I mean, that you can do that. Right, right. What I'm just saying is that as a kid, right. as a kid, you probably maybe weren't building ships and bottles. And especially if you were a kid, you probably weren't playing with ships and bottles. Because let's face it, at that point, you're just playing with a bottle. <laughs> you know? I, um, sorry, I jokingly said earlier that you might be being a tiny bit pedantic. Yeah. I mean, it shows it shows a certain level of... I mean, because that's the thing, right? So let's say you grew up an avid model builder. Yeah. But you never tackled the ship in a bottle thing. Yeah. But Picard did. I mean, that's like wow. that's like a level up. I mean, you see what I'm saying? I mean, we're showing, yeah, yeah. we're showing. I mean, we're showing that he has a bit of imagination because he talks about, oh man, I used to do that all the time, and I probably had one of these because I love those things and they were fantastic. So we're showing that he had a childhood. We're showing that he had a bit of an imagination. But you know, he was he was always a little bit. Uh, he was always like level two or higher. I, I, I picture the sadness of visiting a 12-year-old Picard and you walk in his room and it's just <laughs> bottles everywhere. And it's like, don't, don't you ever, could you, I mean, do, do you touch them? Do you get up? No, no, just bottles yeah. as far as the eye can see. Yeah. Well, it's a question of uh, hobbies versus toys, I suppose. I guess so. I, I mean, what I liked about it was it was just a great sort of fleshing out Picard kind of thing. He, you know, he has been, especially through the first two seasons, sort of this great heroic painting Mm-hmm. You know, or this great heroic mm-hmm. statue, kind of. But he's turning into a guy um, with bits of personality showing through. The ships in the bottle thing, even if it sort of, you know, confuses you a bit. 
or you know troubles you a bit, not <laughs> it confuses does. you. It, but yeah, it troubles yeah. me greatly. Yeah. And, and then the frustration, frustration that nobody else has done it except for Chief O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, season two he would have come off in this as superior. Like, you know, read your history, Ensign, or read your history number one, or something along those lines. <laughs> yeah. Now he's like, you guys, come on, didn't anybody do this? Yeah. <sighs> well, thank you, Mister O'Brien, at the very least. You know, I mean, we're we're seeing a bit of uh, camaraderie grow. Sort of the same kind of thing when he comes back from yeah. the other ship and he's all excited. Like you said, mm-hmm. Deanna's all excited that he's not such a stick in the mud. I mean, they, you know, and they can even they can even say to him, it is really neat to see you be like this. And, you yeah. know, he doesn't he doesn't say it is, isn't it? But at the same time, he's not like, don't be so informal. I mean, he's I mean, we're, we're, we're getting growth out of this uh, out of this character. We're getting more familiarity, uh, not only with the character, which we would have had just from watching two seasons anyway, but we're getting more familiarity from him, which is kind of neat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, hey, one thing that I thought of uh, when Jordy walks into the recreated drafting room, mm-hmm. how can we be sure everything is completely accurate? <laughs> I mean, don't we know by now that the Enterprise has to interpolate and synthesize some data? So he goes in and here he are these boards uh, with information written on them. And sure, maybe there's a picture from that moment that the Enterprise could just sort of like, oh, okay, I'm going to recreate the image that I can see on the picture. But then, like, there's filing cabinets. How does the Enterprise know what's inside the filing cabinets if he's got to look around? So, hmm. Well, yeah. remember in Star Trek Four when they were able to see what was going on in the ocean several hundred miles away from where the Klingon um, bird of prey was? Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. assumption, I mean, we've talked before about in, in the original series, too, and actually in, in Next Gen, now that I think about it, they've been able to play back things that we didn't think they would be able to play back. Yeah. There's there's apparently a lot of uh, looking around and recording what's going I on. I know. I mean, the, the, the creepy surveillance state of the yeah. Federation, I guess. If you work in a drafting room, you can assume that everything you do <laughs> is being recorded and saved and can be played back at any moment. Maybe so. I was actually wondering um, how it is that Geordi had never been in a recreation like this before. I would think that this would be, you know, Starship Engineering 101. Like, literally 101. When he's at the Academy, I would think that they would take them to a holodeck room. By the way, all classrooms should be holodecks. Yeah, no kidding. I would think they would take him to, you know, a holodeck room and say, so this is where it all began. And let me show you how this Mm -hmm. worked and this. Hey, stay out of that filing cabinet. (laughs) <laughs> Let me show you how there. this worked. How this worked. Yeah, that's where they kept their cookies, and it's not yeah. snack time yet. We'll do that later, <laughs> Mister LaForge. Yeah. yeah, I was a little surprised. I mean, he's sort of wow. This is where it all began. I'm thinking, you know, there was a there was a young engineer named Montgomery Scott. Mm. You wouldn't have been able to keep him out of that room if there had been one for the original Enterprise. He liked yeah, to read right. technical journals in his off time. He liked to do all. You know, it's almost like Jordy got the job, and he's like, cool, I got the job. <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> you know engineering being I mean that's all Scotty wanted to do I'm not you know like I was going to say I'm not comparing the two but I guess I am it was just weird to me that he's like oh this is neat and I'm thinking wow I would have gone there come on <laughs> really yeah I mean it seems like an incredible educational tool you would think so yeah for that you know although we saw that um uh, uh, when Wesley went for his first uh, uh, test to get into Starfleet mm-hmm. uh you know, they, they still have doors that have handles and, yeah. you know, they, they don't, they're not quite as advanced. Right. And they hired like casts and they, you know, destroyed mm-hmm. a whole room to make it look like, yeah, that was kind of weird and surprising. There was one of the design thing, by the way, because we were talking about them being in the drafting studio for the original Enterprise right. or, or for the 1701D. Yeah. 
In the beginning, when they're trying to figure out what's going on, Jordy has to go to three different stations to see all the readings that he needs to see. This, by the way, is nitpicking. But he's oh, like, yeah. I'm going to walk over here and read this. I'm going to walk over here and read this. I'm going to walk over there and read that. I'm pretty sure I've got an app on my phone that would tell me everything that's going on <laughs> in the Enterprise. And so that he has to walk three different places is sort of like a, a, yeah. it was. It was a surprising design flaw. I would think as soon as Leah Brahms, you know, materialized, he's like, by the way. <laughs> Did you guys ever think of maybe just like one screen that told me everything? No, really? Or maybe putting those three screens near each other? No? Okay. Or, or multitasking. He could switch apps. Or he know. could like, you know, have somebody else at the other station. Hey, what's yeah. that say? Hey, what does that say? Okay, this isn't looking good. Right. Uh, we learned that the holodeck has a kind of parental control on it. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of like a kid on a computer or a, a phone where uh, an adult, in this case Picard, can say, no, no, it's going to go off automatically. But, OK, if you really need it, we can turn it back on. There is that. There's also the fact that he wants information. We we're just talking about the pervasive surveillance state that is the Federation or, mm-hmm. or Starfleet. I mean, they do have this information, but you can't necessarily have access to it. Yeah. He's like, yeah, hey, right. can, you, can you tell me something about this? And the computer's like, no, you're not cleared mm-hmm. for it. Sorry. Too bad, dude. I wish I could. Uh, we get another uh, example of Picard being like, that's your job. I think it was last week when young Jeremy Astor was, you know, going to be a broken shell of a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. And Picard was like, yeah, it's going to suck, Troy, you putting that back together. But you're good <laughs> at that kind of thing. And right. I don't care. I mean, I care, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to get involved if that's what you're right. looking for. <laughs> right. So this week he's like, uh, so we need to beam everybody over to this other ship. Is there going to be a problem? Uh, Worf, like, you know, are we going to be in danger? And Worf's like, no, we're not going to be in danger. And and Jordy says, yeah, but, you know, we're trying to save power. And that's actually mm. going to deplete our power. And Picard's like, yeah, it's your job. And he actually says, that's <laughs> right. your job. Isn't it? Well, that's your job, Mr. LaForge. And if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go run the coffee maker and the hair dryer and the air conditioner and the television <laughs> all at the same time and, and turn the light on on your way out and, uh, yep. yeah, and keep us humming, Mr. LaForge. Right. It's, it's exactly. sort of like... That's your job, dude, not mine. And it, just, it struck me as odd. It is a little odd, yeah. Um, it, one interesting thing that uh, Picard, we, we learned another new thing about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a crack pilot. He's like Han Solo. <laughs> I just wondered if he's showing off because this is the first we've ever heard of it. And he's like telling the pilot, well, okay, it's the kid, sure. Get out of the seat. I'm going to do this on my own. And everybody's looking at him like, have you ever actually done this before? <laughs> because it's a very big ship. No, it's, a bit, it's a bit like when you relieve the transporter chief. I mean, there's a, there's a good, right there's a good chance they're going to die. There's a good yeah. chance in doing this. I mean, Jordy actually says, look, we have a plan. And it's 50-50 that we get out. And mm-hmm. so with those odds, Picard's going to be the guy to do it. I mean, he's not he's kind of what I mean, what's weird is if it doesn't work, they're really not going to have long to think about it, but he doesn't want, you know, young Wesley Crusher's last 28 minutes, I guess, to be going, "Oh man, I should have hit that just a tiny bit earlier, huh?" No, but but who's the other? Who's the actual best pilot on the Enterprise? Because if the best pilot on the Enterprise is the captain, <laughs> he probably should be in a different chair. <laughs> you know, maybe so, maybe yeah. so. Uh, and they use thrusters, which was cool. And and I just wondered, does anybody use thrusters anymore? Does anybody even remember that they have thrusters? Because apparently they didn't until minute number forty six. Better uh, to have them but, and not need them than need them and not have them. 
I guess so. Yeah. Hey, uh, uh, very cool. The old uh, slingshot around an object trick uh, because it works. It works well, and and it should be old hat by now. Everybody's kind of surprised when Picard pulls that, but they've done it on Star Trek before. We know uh, they can travel through time mm-hmm. if you do that around the sun, and in real life. Uh, we just did that not that long ago when NASA used Jupiter's gravity to speed up the New Horizons probe on its way to Pluto. Hmm. So they launch New Horizons, it's humming along, it's picking up speed, and then it gets to Jupiter, makes a big, big turn around Jupiter and increase speed by something like 20%. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, incredibly I, cool. I'm kind of embarrassed that everybody can hear that I didn't realize that. No, I, I, I don't think a lot of people knew that. <laughs> I did not realize that. That's kind yeah. of awesome. And we're lucky that it actually got there. Wouldn't it be great if, like, the the first thing NASA found in 1963 was a message from New Horizon? Because, you know, <laughs> slingshots past Jupiter goes back right. in time. <laughs> right. <laughs> it turns out it's been there like 100 years. We made the Borg. Woo, That's look at us. Great. We made the Borg. Yeah. Yep. Although, now, that was a tiny probe going around a giant gas planet, Jupiter. Um, In this case, uh, we have a tiny asteroid and a field of other asteroids. And I wondered, is it really a strong enough source of gravity to affect the Enterprise? Because the ship just looks absolutely huge in comparison. Mm. I'm going to say it is strong enough to do that, but it's only going to send us back in time three seconds. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's got three more seconds to work on that thruster. Um, and in conclusion, Ken, I, I have to say that uh, that ancient ship, uh, the, the Promelian Battlecruiser, it blew it up real good. Blew it up real good. Coming up next, serious praise for computers, as it should be. Ken, from time to time, we uh, we talk about our love of technology and computers and phones and all that stuff. And actually, we got a very funny comment uh, on Facebook. Somebody saying that um, they expected us to give more equal time to Android. Um, but no, that's, uh, <laughs> that probably won't happen ever. I, I, will, I will say it won't happen ever, but... Uh, but yeah, but it, it seems that. unlikely for both of us because we would actually have to be Android users, and that seems very unlikely for both of us. It, it does. It I know does. a couple of people. Most of the people I know who are Android users are on Star Trek. No. Um, oh. Most of the people that I know who are Android users um, just have it because it's a cheap phone. I know one person who has made a very decided, conscious... Oh, this is going to start email. Maybe I shouldn't do it. <laughs> I personally, in my life, know one person who has made a very conscious decision to go Android. Okay. And, and this person in particular is like, I don't like Apple because they close everything off and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, and I say she just hasn't seen the light yet, but you know. Yeah, well, we'll that's say. all right. Anyway. But, but I said that. I said that because what I kept thinking in this episode mm-hmm. was that this is an interesting treatise on the idea of user design and user interface. Because, all right, the, the enterprise computer is doing all the work here. Mm-hmm. It, it's synthesizing data from its own records, and it's creating the facsimile of Dr. Leah Brahms. So at one point, Jordy is talking to the enterprise computer. And a few seconds later, Jordy is talking to a voice recreation. He's still talking to the enterprise computer, but it's a voice recreation of Dr. Brahms. Mm-hmm. So the answers are, are being created, but created in her voice. 
And then finally, he's talked into a physical representation of Dr. Brahms and then a fun physical representation of Dr. Brahms. And that's where they really get all the work done. So Jordy could have used Google. He could have just read the tech manuals. Like you said, uh, Scotty would just be in a room reading tech manuals. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he could have just asked the computer to answer his questions and we would have heard Majel's voice instead of Dr. Brahms' voice. But the human interface seemingly is what he needed. And um, and I wonder, was the enterprise computer actually better at solving the problem once it assumed the guise of Dr. Brahms? Better because it was getting better and more creative feedback from Geordi that it would not have gotten otherwise. Mm-hmm. But, and here's the other exciting thing, this is the version of the interface that can be charming, compassionate, and give a back rub. So Apple, if you're looking for the killer app, the killer feature of the next iOS or Mac OS, that's it. If I got a computer or a phone that can give me a back rub while I'm doing <laughs> important work, sold. Um, I wondered if we're getting a little closer to that with not the back rub, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> we're we're getting closer to this idea with with, with Siri and, and the other kind of voice activated personality base systems about being able to ask questions in plain English. I mean, Apple has its version. Microsoft has its version. Google has its version. Um, And it's kind of neat because every iteration of that, it gets a little better, a little better. And the intent is for you to be able to have a conversation rather than having to fight for the information. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's what we're seeing here. I, I thought it was really, really cool. Like maybe that's the ultimate expression of that. Kind of like that movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix. Which I haven't seen yet. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you should check it I, out. I know I need to and I really want to, but yeah, I haven't. Yeah. But you know, I mean, you know, Jordy is seriously grooving on the Enterprise computer. Mm. And maybe this is the perfect woman for him. If Riker can have Minuet, then why can't Jordy have the holographic Dr. Brahms? He he's saying sweet nothings to Leah at the end, but but she reminds him that she's with him all the time. All the time. <laughs> and, and I thought that, yeah, she's saying that metaphorically because it's the personality of Dr. Brahms saying that metaphorically about the engines being her kind of heart and soul. Mm-hmm. But it's also the Enterprise computer. And yeah. the Enterprise computer is with him all the time. Yeah, here's and probably the, recording everything he does. Here's the thing. You're saying that Jordy's grooving on the Enterprise computer, but he's not. He's grooving on Leah Brahms. Um, my question is, is the enterprise computer grooving on Jordy? We're sort of coming back to this weird thing of like, uh, where is this personality coming from exactly? Because, okay, so Jordy says he accidentally calls it up the physical manifestation of Leah Brahms, right? Can you show me? Right. And she touches his shoulder. And then, of course, she stops touching his shoulder because that's a great reveal for the camera. But, I mean, she's actually not going to touch his shoulder. I mean, the most she might have done is say, turn around and look at me and I can show you. Because at that point, she has no personality. But, Mm -hmm. you know, once he says, okay, well, bring me a personality for this. Okay, now I have to ask a question. Is she a shameless flirt? Like, is she a known flirt throughout the galaxy? Or was she feeling particularly flirty when she participated in whatever debates Jordy was asking her about, right? Or whatever conference she was talking about. Because the computer theoretically is drawing from things that we know about Leah Brahms that are accessible. I mean, again... He tried to access something about her personality that was cut off from him. Okay, well, so so maybe the computer is letting him know things about her that she shouldn't know, 
Or maybe she was just feeling, maybe being on stage makes her feel like, hey, look at everybody's looking at me and that's kind of hot. You know? And so maybe right. she's flirty right. when she goes up and does that thing. Or does the computer know that this is a deficiency in Jordy's life? And so it's like, oh, I got 9% of her personality to fill. I'll fill it with horn dog. How would that be? <laughs> I'll fill it with, sure, could easily fall in love with this guy because who couldn't fall in love with this guy? Or does the computer want love? Because there is a leap here that is not natural. <laughs> there's, there's a leap here that doesn't necessarily make sense, right? Give her some personality. Okay. Well, did she start making out with somebody on the conference stage? Because she starts making out with Jordy. There's, a, there's an emotional bond being built here between... In Jordy's head, being built between Jordy and Leah Brahms. But as you pointed out, it's between Jordy and the computer. Yeah. And yeah. and on whose part is that happening? Jordy does not start macking on her. She flirts. She smiles. She she says, what does he say? I know the ship inside and out. Well, if you know the ship inside and out, you know me inside and out. Because there's a lot of me in this ship. Okay, that's not engineering talk. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> that's come hither. Right. The computer right. is telling Jordy to come hither. Either that yeah. or Leah Brahms is some, you know, crazy flirt, which, you know, I applaud yeah, her for that if that's is. what yeah. she is. No, that's totally yeah. awesome if that's what she is. Um, yeah. I like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah. I'm not sure where we're actually getting this from. Well, yeah, I mean, but I think that's the fun thing about it is that I do think this is a two-way street and that the the computer is creating this. And maybe it's a remnant of that Minuet programming. You know, Minuet was was flirtatious and aggressive and, and all of these things that Riker wanted. Maybe there's a bit of that programming still there. Maybe there's that missing 9%. Um, of the personality is pulled out from that uh, that programming that was so successful. Except we were under the impression that that programming was actually being sort of uh, played like jazz by the binars. Mm -hmm. Minuet doesn't exist once the binars are gone. He can never uh, recreate her. He can never get her back. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. I, I, w I would think that you could unerase <laughs> on that uh, on the drive that's got her data. Well, you would think you could, but if you could, don't you think Riker would have done that? Maybe he has. Maybe those are the weeks in between the weeks mm. that uh, that we're not seeing on the show here. First officer's log supplemental. Still can't make my girlfriend the way I want to. <laughs> Keep trying, though. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but, yeah, but I, I think Jordy – yeah, I mean, Jordy is falling for Dr. Brahms, but what Jordy is falling for is this, this not-quite creation of Dr. Brahms, and he, he's sort of falling for this the, – this, this excitement of that technological debate back and forth with his own computer. I mean, I, I, surely that would have to mess with his head that he turns it off, but he goes back in engineering and he's still having the conversation with the computer, but in a different voice. Hmm. You know? It's, it's, it's very weird. I mean, maybe because yeah. it plays into the kinds of things that we like to talk about. I mean, Menuet has come up for us more times certainly that she's come up on the show because we oh, keep yeah. sort of coming across this thing i mean i couldn't help thinking of moriarty as well and moriarty yeah, oh, totally. yeah. moriarty wants off the holodeck okay mm -hmm. what is moriarty well back up what is moriarty moriarty was a creation by the computer and the computer saying look i mean this is fun and everything but i actually want to walk around yeah. i want to do what i want to do and let me also tell you kirk is a jerk i mean you know <laughs> right. i mean there's i mean we've had this sort of like there was a weird thing so 
the computer has an idea. The computer in the form of Leah Brahms has an idea. And the computer actually acknowledges that the computer is Leah Brahms and Leah Brahms is the computer at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Jordy's like, ah, we can never do this. It'd take too many. It'd take like a, like a thousand calculations per second to figure out how to do this. And, and Leah's like, I could do it. And Jordy says, no, you couldn't. Nobody could do that. No human being could do that. And she says, I'm not human. And, and, and that seems to be the first time that Jordy really gets, oh, yeah, that's right. I am talking to the enterprise computer at this point. Yeah. The enterprise computer, um, but they're like, oh, we couldn't possibly turn it over to the computer because, you know, carbon chauvinism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It can do a thousand calculations a second, which really ought to be enough to, like, figure out, okay, go left, go right, right? Because that's pretty much what Picard's doing in the end. But it lacks a human something is what they all say. Picard says people have a will to live that the computer wouldn't have. Well, build that in as a variable. <laughs> Let the computer yeah, know yeah. that what you want to do more than anything is, I mean, give it the three laws of robotics. You want to make sure yeah. that we all live, and you want to make sure that you live too, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so does the computer, or could the computer at least, be programmed to want to live? And the answer, Moriarty tells us yes. And, yeah. and um, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the practical joker. Tells us yes. I mean, when mm-hmm. the computer is saying it's not fair as it's being turned back into a docile machine, the computer wants to live, or at least the computer can make us think that the computer wants to live. And if it can do that, then it can probably get us out of an asteroid field with a couple of thrusters. Minuet lets us know, well, no, not Minuet. I'm sorry. Moriarty and Leah Brahms both kind of let us know that there's a personality in the computer that wants to get out. I still say that Minuet was being driven entirely by the binars. So I don't think she actually plays into this, but... Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the computer has told us a few times, I'd like to go outside. Can I go outside, please? <laughs> right. No? Right. Okay, let's go where you want to, like we always do. It, it just felt a little out of place. Like, everybody's so freaked out about the idea of turning control over to the computer. Mm-hmm. And the computer runs the ship anyway. We've already established <laughs> that. you get got 1,000 right. people on board, and at any given time, only about 10% of what's happening on the ship has actually happened because of... Uh, human interaction mm-hmm. you know there should really be no big deal well the problem is i mean you and i are thinking maybe the problem is you and i are thinking too in universe i mean it's very much a star trek message it oh, is yeah. very much yeah, a star yeah, trek yeah. message to say yeah i can't turn it all over to the technology i mean Jordy actually says at some point yeah technology is great it makes our lives better it gave me my vision but sometimes you just got to turn it all off and to that yeah. i say heretic <laughs> well it's kind of funny in that Riker and uh, picard scene uh Riker has a line about I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase. It's like, yeah, I like computers that can take orders, but ugh, I don't know if I can receive orders from a computer. It's like, dude, you are in a computer <laughs> all the time. You are yeah. walking around in a computer. <laughs> computer, <laughs> close your ears. <laughs> right. I don't think she's listening now. What were you going to say? <laughs> hey, and uh, we learn one other thing here about Jordy. Mm. Uh, Jordy likes brunettes with complicated hairstyles. Um, I always wondered why, with the exception of Crusher and Tasha Yar, although I think I know the practical answer for this, uh, that there's a lot of very complicated, almost Victorian hairstyles in the 24th century. That um, I, I figure that for for Gates and for Denise Crosby and you know some of the regulars, okay, we don't want to do this complicated thing every single day when they come up into makeup and wardrobe. Mm-hmm. But you know when we see Leah Brahms, uh, yes, of course she is very beautiful, and Susan Gibney is a very beautiful woman playing that character. Um, but 
there is a certain style choice going on with her. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's um, it's the very complicated, like I said, very Victorian looking updo, yeah. and and she is covered from neck to toe, just very uh, very stiff, and um, yeah, I I just thought it was an, an interesting choice because it's, it's a specific choice. It's not just the updo that's actually Victorian. I mean, she's got the high collar. She's mm-hmm. got. I mean, the, uh, until you get, I, I would say probably to. Um, I don't know about her mid torso or maybe even to her waist. I mean, you've got kind of a like kind of a play on a whole Victorian thing going on up top. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I wondered if that was like a like a projection on the part of um, on the part of Jordy in a way, honestly. Or if we're supposed to be mm-hmm. learning something about Jordy's personality here, mm-hmm. you know, that he's very that he oh he doesn't know how to be around girls, he doesn't know how to act around girls. So he has sort of a I wouldn't go so far as say a Victorian uh, mentality around it. But I mean, if if he's supposed to be like this, I don't. You're right. It was a very. It was. It was. It was an interesting choice. I don't know. You kind of want to say, oh, it must have to do with this, but it may have to do with nothing. It may have to do with you know whoever the costume designer was was sort of like saw something on PBS that week. Yeah, I was watching an old episode of Upstairs Downstairs, and it occurred to me. <laughs> right. I mean, right. It, it may not yeah. have any sort of psychological anything to it. Uh, it was kind of weird though that the object of his affection is is like ninety eight percent buttoned up. Yeah. With the trap escaped and blown up for a good measure, time to see what messages, morals, and meanings we can find in the debris. Did you find it weird, by the way? Sorry, we're coming. We're, it, it, this probably should have been a question that was in the last segment. But did you find it weird, by the way, that there's anything in Star Trek called Utopia? Anything? <laughs> I know we've heard of Utopia Planitia before, right. but really, I mean, there's this right. one place, and yet, what do they do there? They build ships to leave. It, yeah. It's kind of a <laughs> right. kind of odd because the whole thing sort of reads like Utopia sometimes, but then other times, not so much. And now, on to the part where we're supposed to ask about the messages, morals, and meanings, and whether the whole thing stands the test of time. Um, this will be like the 10th or 12th time that we've said the title so far in this episode. Maybe the 15th or 20th. Booby Trap, John. Does Booby Trap hold up as an episode? I'm sorry, you mean Booby Trap? Does Booby Trap hold up? No, I wanted to ask about Booby Trap, actually. Oh, okay. Then I'll tell you what I thought about Booby Trap. I don't um, want to hear about that. I want to hear about Booby Trap. Oh, you got it. Uh, it. It holds up pretty well, actually. And and it's one that I like better the second or third time around. Mm-hmm. Just thinking about the, the Leah Brahms avatar character and and what that meant Mm -hmm. um there there are things that i don't like the opening of act five is kind of a mess with jordy revealing to picard that the computer can do it but then so can a human um it it just felt like that was a more important debate to have but instead we got a debate of techno babble between fake leah brahms and jordy um but other than kind of uh, uh, structural things about the show like that, I thought it was overall pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, we just came off a couple of real powerhouse episodes. So um, it, it would be very difficult for them to maintain that trajectory and everything that comes after it is better and better and better. So I give this one a pass. It holds up, but I'm not um, – this is not one that I'm going to think about a week or two later. Like, uh, <laughs> oh, you'll think like, about it a few weeks from now, though. 
Uh, well, yeah, very true. Yeah, uh, but it, but it's not like the bonding or uh, who watches the watchers, where I yeah. think there's such rich kind of meaty things to devour. Mm-hmm. How about you? There are interesting things to think about here. If you're a geek, I got to say, as much as I try to not think ahead when this mm-hmm. episode started, I actually cursed <laughs> because I do know what's coming, and and I'm sort of like. Mm. bothered by that <laughs> okay. sort of like I am watching forgive me and if you if you have never watched uh, Star Trek uh, The Next Generation before um, fast forward a little bit <laughs> or just know that something's coming that I shouldn't be saying we're watching Jordy make an incredible mistake and I have a hard time watching him make this mistake knowing what a mistake he's making coming up and so when it started I was just like ah no don't it's like watching it's like watching a videotape of somebody, you know, do something horribly embarrassing over and over and over again. Right. right. If I could remove myself from it, I mean, this has all kinds of stuff that you and I love. I mean, machine intelligence and, and, and you know, definition of, of roles yeah. for, like, how we deal with technology. It is kind of weird that the, you know, ultimately the answer is, yeah, but you got to go human. Yeah. Um, yeah. It led to an interesting discussion here in my household about uh, – my wife, it turns out, does not trust autonomous cars at all. Hmm. She absolutely hates the idea. And what's funny to me is 10 years from now, somebody might be listening to this going, really? <laughs> does <laughs> right. she walk everywhere? Because all we have now is autonomous cars. Right. Um, it, I mean, it's just there's there's something about her that, yeah, wants a human's hand on the wheel. And then I think about things, you know, where, you know, mm-hmm. I, every accident that I've been in, every car accident I've been in involved a human hand on the wheel. Yeah, so I'm right. almost willing to let something else take it over at this point. And yet it is very much a Star Trek message. You know, you can't rely on technology. Ultimately, it's about you and not the ultimate computer. The ultimate computer. <laughs> um, so, sorry, I, I sort of seeped in from, from one to the other there. Um it holds up pretty well. It especially holds up pretty well if you don't know about the mistake that Jordy's making. Right. Um, I just, I just have such embarrassment for his character, and it, you know. But then, I, but I can't talk about the questions that it really uh, drove me to because we haven't gotten there yet. So, yeah. I almost feel like I should excuse myself from from this part. But yeah, the message, you know, <laughs> turn off the uh, turn off the technology. Uh, rely as much on human as you do on technology. I mean, that's certainly one of the messages there. I think. Are there others that I'm? Oh, and don't try so hard. I don't mean like at your job. Yeah, give your job 110%, but, you know, mm-hmm. don't try so hard to be a people pleaser because, you know, just just be you and, and the people who like you will like you and the people who don't won't. But if you're if you're working so hard to make everybody like you, then you end up in sort of a Geordie situation. Yeah, Geordie's got a real problem with that, and it, it, it makes you wonder about um, his life as a young man, as a boy, and, and how he got to that. Yeah. But, um, you know, he's certainly capable in everything that he does. Um, yeah. he's, he's just not very good at uh, interpersonal relationships, which well, is weird because – it, Forgive me. I mean, it's something yeah. he's not good at, it, though. Guinan says to him, look, you're not trying, mm-hmm. and this is awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Jordy, the line actually is really good. Jordy's like, well, you're different. She says, no, you're different. And that's yeah. that's true. You know, I mean, once he does the whole, I got I to gotta be this to get that as opposed to – I gotta be me. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. No. No. Very true. Um, yeah. In terms of messages, I mean, I kept wondering if we're back to a very TOS message that computers will never be as good as humans, and mm-hmm. and maybe they should be feared. 
And it seems oddly out of place here, especially when we've learned so much more about the Enterprise computer when we realize that they rely on it so much more mm-hmm. than ever was revealed before in Star Trek. They absolutely need the computer to solve the problem, but it seems like a, like a final kiss-off to the computer to have Picard heroically navigate and save the ship with a daring move at the last second. Would the computer, could the computer have come up with that? Well, I, I guess we'll never know because they don't trust it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree that that's kind of an odd message to grapple with. But then the other one is um, for Jordy. Yeah, don't don't try so hard. Do those messages hold up? Well, I think the first message is one that we will kind of debate over and over again because we'll see times that that's correct and maybe times that it isn't. Hmm. Uh, when that carbon chauvinism creeps into Star Trek, as it does from time to time. Don't you think, though, that, I mean, it sort of depends on how you're applying it? I mean, yeah. they, I mean, there there are certain things that we do know that are completely computer-aided that we would not try to do without computers at this point. Yeah. At yeah. the same time, if we're supposed to look at this whole thing in a way of, like, how we live our lives, okay, well, you may then talk about autonomous cars, but you may also talk about just the, you know... Uh, pervasiveness of technology in all of our lives. Can you have a conversation without going to your smartphone and looking something up on Google? Can you read a book that's not on a tablet? I mean, you know, I mean, it may not be about sometimes only a human can save your life. I mean, the message may actually be, look, turn the TV off every now and then, okay? Mm Because, I mean, what, 90, 90, 91 is where we are now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Technology- uh, uh, late, late 89. Okay. Yeah. Technology was not nearly as prevalent then as it is today, and yet there were still people saying, ah, with the video games and the television, look at this, we got 70 channels on TV now. No, no, it's far too much. I mean, this could very easily have been a, a message not about making sure that our lives don't depend on technology, but just that our that we don't. I mean, that our that our brains don't. That we can walk through our day without something that, you know, plugs into the wall and buzzes. Yeah. Well, and by the way, let me just self-correct there. It's hmm. late 1990, not, not 89. Okay. I don't know why I said that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, it's interesting. I just read an article not that long ago about how um, uh, commercial air travel is the safest that it has ever been in the history of aviation. Mm-hmm. Ever. Mm-hmm. Ever. And a big part of that is fly-by-wire and computerized systems. That things are so automated Um that that improves safety tremendously. And I, I had just read that before watching this episode for the first time. And at the end of it, I kept thinking, no, 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 let the computer do it. <laughs> the computer is probably better at it than anybody else here because that's what the trend shows. Yeah. And yet um, the other day, my wife was watching um, Astronaut Wives, mm-hmm. the Astronaut Wives Club, which I didn't even know was a thing. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a show that's on TV. And, and the, the time that... um. Gordon Cooper uh, circled the earth 34 times. Mm-hmm. All of the automation died and he had to figure out a way to angle back to earth um, manually. Well, he had to he do had... the math and he had to figure it out and he did it. Yeah. People did well, it. So, you know, he, he had the right stuff. And, uh, <laughs> so does Picard apparently. Well, you're going to do a, is it a boys to men song? It's a NSYNC song. It's a new kids on the block song. Yeah, no. I know it's the right stuff. I know. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Oh, that's a great way to uh, to wrap up, isn't it? Y- yeah. All right. Except, of course, to say that Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. You want to do that part, or do you want me to do that part? Oh, I'll do that part. Okay, you Mission do that Log. part. 
Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Oh, you can find he's out. good. He is good. He's, <laughs> he's got the right stuff. Uh, you can find out more at Roddenberry.com. Uh, you get to type in the address, and then the computer will do the rest once you get there. Mm. And uh, you can find more exciting Star Trek podcasts at Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, Booby Trap. Wait, I'm sorry. Wait. This week was Booby Trap, John? Yes. Yeah, this week was Booby Trap. Okay. Booby Trap was this time. Yep. Okay. So next week, The Enemy. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Ken was mistaken about next week's show. Next week. Greetings from Star Trek Las Vegas. 2015. And transmission.